Good morning. Welcome into the show. Thanks for tuning in. It is Thursday, August the 29th, 8 a.m. on the East Coast for all of you really, really early risers out on the West Coast. It is 5 a.m. all time zones in between and around the world. The beautiful thing about technology is, is if you miss the show live, you can go back and watch on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash W-R-K-M-N. Again, that is facebook.com forward slash W-R-K-M-N. So uh, this is the fourth show of our fall season as we kick off. Uh, we've talked about it all week. The, uh, the break that we had that was not meant to be had, but it was had uh, unfortunately, due to some technical issues uh, while we were abroad, um, when you have an audio console blow up and white smoke comes out of it, uh, looking like uh, the latest uh, DJ party, that's not a good sign, nor is it good <laughs> for getting uh, the rest of the tour done. So we were able to... Um, to, to, to get some interviews, use some cameras, uh, in, including some phones, to, to grab footage in, in different places. And uh, we are bringing some of those interviews uh, this week and next week um, to kind of get you caught up on some of the things that, that we saw and some interviews that we were able to get done, uh, even though we were unable to get our show um, done live from Europe as we had intended. So um, today we will be having Jeremy Ruffinello. He uh, recently signed with FC Helsingor. He's in a young American uh, player pursuing his dreams abroad and uh, grew up in the uh, Philadelphia Union Academy and um, spent a year playing uh, college soccer before taking on this challenge so uh, we look forward to sharing that interview coming up after the break um, so you know it it, it, it was uh, it was a comedy of errors over there and uh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're still feeling some of the ramifications uh, since we've been back uh, just because um, you know you gotta you gotta replace the gear and, and and you look for upgrades and then you're still piecing some things together so you know it is um you know what it is so um the the neymar uh saga i guess as we can call it um seems to be heading towards the path of him going to barcelona um like seems like they're just finalizing details, although uh, it is by no means a done deal. Uh, but all signs seem to be pointing to the fact that uh, we're heading towards that. What is unknown is is what if any players may go in the other direction. Um, Barcelona had been wanting to send some players earlier in the summer, including Coutinho, who wound up at Bayern Munich on loan this year. Um, Rakitic is another name that has been mentioned. Dembele, uh, a more recent name. We'll, we'll see if any, any, if any players um, head the other direction, but um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, there's no player at Barcelona um, that that is trying to fill that hole as an eleven that has been able to do the job. That includes Coutinho. That includes Dembele, and those were the two primary targets, pri- uh, primary candidates to to fill those shoes of Neymar since he left, and uh, neither one have been able to do it. So, um, with that being said, we'll we'll see if they if they get that done. Uh, yesterday, the U.S. men's national team roster was released. Um, Greg Berhalter um, named a 26-player roster ahead of friendlies against Mexico and Uruguay. Um, obviously, Christian Pulisic is um, is there. Um, so the U.S. will face Mexico in uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey, at MetLife Stadium on September the sixth. 
Uh, that's a big uh, money-making match for U.S. soccer, and um, they are anticipating a lot of uh, Mexican fans there to support the Mexican national team so they can make a lot of money. Um, that's why that's happening in, in a big stadium. They want to play Mexico in a big stadium so they can they can uh, play uh, in a in a large crowd where they know that they're going to get a lot of support for the Mexican national team and um, and and make that money. That's what that's about. That's just a money match. It's a fundraiser. I mean, that's what they should call it. It's a friendly. It is a fundraiser for U.S. Soccer and for Soccer United Marketing. Soccer United Marketing. For those of you watching. Are, are is an organization that is owned by the Major League Soccer owner operators. They own that company as well. So if, if you know a name that is associated with the Major League Soccer team, they are also an owner in Soccer United Marketing. And uh, they own two different companies. It's a way for them to move money around, not pay players, make more money. And this is a fundraiser for the Soccer United Marketing um, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, where uh, Soccer United Marketing anticipates uh, a big, big payday um, with hosting uh, the Mexican national team in a friendly. Um, and, um, and so, you know, that's what's taking place on September 6th. So let's let's call that what it is. That is a fundraiser for Soccer United Marketing, and then uh, they play Uruguay at, at St. Louis's uh, Bush Stadium four days later um, because uh, baseball stadiums make a lot of sense. Um, so here's the roster um, that uh, of players that have been. Um, brought in um, of the roster, the 15 uh, from the team were on the team that reached the final of the Gold Cup in July, uh, including uh, Zach Steffen, Aaron Long, and Weston McKinney. Um, John Brooks, who missed the Gold Cup due to injury, um, is back. Obviously, we talked about Pulisic. Um, so when when you look at the roster um we we see that Josh Sargent is a name that is back um he should have been in the gold cup squad this summer um when he was left off of the the U20 World Cup which is a head scratcher into itself. So goalkeepers wise, Jesse Gonzalez, Brad Guzan, Sean Johnson, Zach Steffen. Not sure why we need uh, four goalkeepers in camp, but whatever. Uh, John Brooks, Reggie Cannon. These are the defenders. Serginho Dest, Nick Lima, um, and Dest. Just to, for those of you who are like, who is that? Um, pay attention. Dude is at Ajax. Um, man of the match performance champions league this week. Um, so you should be following him. Nick Lima, Aaron long, Daniel Lovitz, Tim Ream, miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. Um, midfielder, Sebastian Legette is back. Weston McKinney, Alfredo Morales, Paxton Pomichol, uh, Christian Roldan, will trap Jackson. Yule. And Fords, Corey Baird, Tyler Boyd, Jordan Morris, Christian Pulisic, Josh Sargent, and Giazzi Zardis. So, um, I don't know who's going to play. I don't know who's going to start. But um, I don't understand this love affair with with Giazzi Zardis. Jazzy's a, a really good guy from all accounts. Uh, you know, I know people that know him. They say he's an incredible guy. And that's awesome. But I'm not just looking at incredible people. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that he's a good guy. But what I'm really, you know, looking at is quality up top players up top and if you saw the gold cup you saw that you know there were there were moments Jazzy's artists on the field there are moments where you're expecting more from a u.s national team forward um 
whether that more means better, you know, first touch, better ball control, more technical skill, um, just in every category where you're looking for quality, there's just not a lot there for a national team level. Now, Major League Soccer is a different story, but for a national team level. So I'm, I'm hoping that Josh Sargent, who I think got you know a raw deal this summer, gets a really good look and... You know, I I imagine being the competitor that he is, he's going to come into camp wanting to prove something after, you know, feeling like he was hard done by being left off of the U-20 roster and the Gold Cup roster. And, um, you know, so I, I hope we see a lot of him during these two matches. Um, and I think our focus, and the, and the bigger point here is, I think our focus should be on the younger players, um, we have the Olympics coming up next year and the next World Cup in 2022. And I think we should be taking this time over the rest of 2019 into 2020 to for our national team to be focused on our uh, Olympic team. And then taking that core around that Olympic team and getting it ready for 2022. And all of that with the focus of looking ahead to hosting in 2026. It's, you know, six and a half years away. And um, that, to me, should be our priorities. The problem with our federation is we don't get that kind of vision. We don't get that kind of leadership. Um, we, don't, we don't hear any type of strategic plan from the federation. Um, you, you know, you don't hear, hey, in the next 18 months, these are our goals, these are our initiatives, you know, these are our benchmarks, our milestones. Uh, we don't see that over three years, over five years, over 10 years. Um, and, and, and what we continually see is a lack of a plan put forward. And then we see a lot of decisions that make you scratch your head or just make you outright angry. Uh, and we've seen some of that recently with with the way that U.S. Soccer's handled this whole reshuffling of the Development Academy, and we see this time and time again. This is it, it's not a unique thing to just this recent decision to to reward Major League Soccer academies by making them exclusionary in their own division within the Development Academy. Um, regardless of, of on-field records and merit. And, and that's a, a whole nother conversation. Um, you've got teams now just traveling crazy, crazy um, distances and amounts of time for a single match due to this reshuffling. Our federation, you know, just make decisions that make you think they're soccer stupid. And, um, you know, when you look overseas, Europe as a continent is roughly the size of the U.S. geographically. And even in that setup, you know, you take a country like Spain, which is nowhere near the size of the U.S. And even in Spain, they regionalize their youth system. Barcelona is not traveling all over the country every weekend for matches. They're typically playing within a territory within Spain. Our development academies, I don't like the system as it is anyway, but you go and you you segregate Major League Soccer and separate them from everyone else. Not only are Major League Soccer academies having to, to, to not play any other local competition and travel more, those teams are now having to travel and play more. It is a ridiculous decision. Um, and, um, you know, when we, when we look at our national team and, and we see some of these selections and we look at the quality on the field, you, you start to realize why we don't do well. And it's because soccer's not the biggest priority. Doesn't mean that soccer doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that soccer isn't a priority for the Federation or for major league soccer or for the national team. It, it is somewhere on the list, but it's not the top priority. And the reason why I say that is because when we look at things, we realize that, um, 
decisions are not made with soccer, the game itself, and the development of players for that game being held at the highest regard, the highest priority. So um, our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand. Um, check them out at DUKTIGbrand.com to get some really cool uh, notebooks, journals. Um, they, they have really cool resources. If you're a player, you're a coach, maybe you're a parent and you just want to watch and take some notes at a game rather than scream at your kids, um, which would, would be a good idea. Um, I would uh, I would challenge you and hope that you would check them out at ducktickbrand.com. Use the promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order as well. We'll be right back with our interview of Jeremy Caffanello right after this. pursue my professional career here. So I'm in Helsinger here now. I absolutely love it. So how long have you been here at Helsinger? Uh, I've been here for about a month now and my trial was about a week and a half. So I'm pretty familiar with it, but it's, I'm getting there. So you, you, you played Philadelphia Union, go off to Penn State. Um, before we move on to Helsinger, and we, we'll talk a lot of, uh, about that in, in a moment, uh, what was that like coming up through an MLS academy? Was it was it just a foregone conclusion that when you finished at eighteen you were going to go to college, or was there a conversation about getting an opportunity, you know, to play with the first team at, at the Philadelphia Union? Uh, it was. I never really had a, the opportunity to train with the first team when I was with a. Uh, the Philadelphia Union. Most of the guys didn't really get a chance to. If you were in the within the academy, you usually just play with the Bethlehem Steel. But when I turned 18, I already knew that I just wanted to go play professional. I knew that since like a young, young age. And uh, so yeah, I went to college for a year and then I enjoyed my time there as much as I did, but my real aspirations were just to play professional. I never really had an aspiration to go to college, but at the time I did, I absolutely loved it. So, at what age did you decide, I want to play professionally? Yeah, I'm not lying here, about five years old. <laughs> you can ask my parents. I've always wanted to be when I was younger. And, and where did that connection to the game start with you? Was, was, was football, was soccer in the house uh, for you? Was that just something that was part of your family life? Um, was it TV? Where did it come from? Uh, it was actually pretty funny. So my I have two older brothers that I look up dearly to. They're my role models and everything. But uh, my older brother started playing soccer when he was five years old. He asked my dad if he could play soccer. My dad had no clue what soccer was growing up in Brooklyn, and he absolutely had no clue what it was. So he was a bit stunned, but after that, my two brothers played before me, and after that, I absolutely loved it because they loved it, and they'll push me every single day, and 
when I was younger, they never let me win, so they put that competitive desire in me, which I absolutely love, and I thank them for it every day. Now, growing up as a player, you, you get into the Philadelphia Union Academy. Uh, how would you compare that kind of uh, you know environment, daily training, to what you've experienced so far here in Helsinger? So, yeah, with the Union, it was different because we had a school at the Union, so we would train in the morning and then train in the afternoon. So we had two training sessions a day, which was a pretty heavy load because you after after first training session you go straight to school. So it was a heavy, very very heavy load on our legs. But it's definitely like comparing it to here is like it's kind of like nothing else. Like it's just a professional environment here, and it's just like an environment you want to be around to if you want to develop. Like it's the place to be just because there's great guys here. There's a great core group of young kids and. It's amazing right now, and with the training and training's going super well, so I'm loving it and um, <laughs> love it so far. <laughs> so, growing up playing, obviously, you, you talked about your two older brothers. What other players? Uh, maybe they were big time players. Maybe they were local players. What other players inspired you uh, to, to as a player? Maybe to model your game after. Uh. I've always had like, uh, I couldn't really say like I like a role model. Like, never really had like a striker, striker like role model. I mean, but uh, coming through like my town, like Carly Lloyd was from my town, so she's like a big, big like name in our town. And I always just wanted to like have my name in the town and saying I'm doing great things too. So hopefully one day everybody realized that with everything. But Carly Lloyd, I, I could say, it was a pretty big inspiration through for for her through me. So coming through Dallier and both coming through Dallier and also Peter Vermees as well too. Well, Carly's not a, not a bad role model to me. <laughs> yeah. um, um, multiple time world champion, Olympic champion, one of the most decorated uh, American footballers uh, of all time. So that's definitely a good inspiration to choose uh, in naming some inspirations. As a, as a player, when you're trying to develop your game, you, you coming up through the union and getting it, you know, wanting to take an opportunity in Europe. Uh, what were you trying to do as a player to improve your game? What, was it being quicker on the ball? Was it making better decisions? Was it being technical? Uh, what were you looking to do as a player, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, knowing that since the age of five, I want to be a pro. So what were you trying to do to prepare yourself as a player to get there? Yeah, so I knew it was going to take a lot. So when like that age turned around where I started developing, I knew I had to like get like a strength and everything. And it's, it's always just been like putting the ball in the back of the net with everything. But like the things like I when I when I get here, I realize when I see, for example, like the older guys train like Yepper and like Dougie and all them, and they use their all use their bodies to hold up the ball, and that's just one of the big biggest things because. Back in academy, when I played in high school, it was just different because I had a huge amount of talent around me. Kids going to do, kids going professional. Brendan Aronson starting first team, so he's. I've had a lot there, but it's definitely like holding up the ball and supporting for your teammates as well too. Like that's what I got to learn, and that's why I'm here. So I can develop with Matt, and Matt's going to develop us core groups as a our young players, and we all put this trust into him. So. Now, you've been here for a little while, you're training, you're, you're getting into the flow of things. Uh, the coach is new as well. The team recently relegated down to the second division, uh, which is technically the third division in, in Denmark. Um, and club has, has made it known that they have all uh, intents and purposes of going back up to the, to the first division at the end of the season. That's the goal. Do you feel that in training? Is yeah. That, is that part of the conversation? Is that part of the intensity, uh, the players, the conversations about making sure you get your work done and, and, and that you take it onto the field and perform well? Yeah. I mean, it's a professional environment, so they expect you to be professional no matter what. Guys really don't have to like check people because you're a professional is expected. You have to know all of it. So when you come into a professional environment, you have to be as professional as you can with everything, so that's what where our game is, and like with the uh, relegation, like like nobody even speaks about it. We just know what we have to do this season and get promoted back up to the first division, and hopefully get up to the Super League by the third year. So 
you got goals to shoot for and they're not far out of reach. Now, as a player, you, you aspired to be a pro. You've made the jump to Europe. You left college and you said, I can always go back to college, but I want to take this opportunity uh, to, to go to Europe, make it in Europe. What was that conversation like with your parents? Because for so many American families, college is such a big thing. Um, what was that conversation like with, with your mom and dad when you said, look, I want to take this opportunity see how far I can take it. I'm, I'm willing to walk away from Penn State. Yes, I mean, my mom and dad, are, I owe everything to them. They, uh, they helped me out every step of the way. I mean, they, they were at every single college game. They loved that I went to college and everything, but I told them, and they knew ever since I was younger, I just wanted to be professional. So they were totally behind my decision when I heard about this chance going over to Europe, and my dad was all for it. He was the one so excited for me just to go over there and trial. Just be a good experience, even if I didn't get signed, but luckily I did get signed and started my life over here, and I absolutely love it so far. It's been amazing. So how far do you want to take this? Is this enough, or do you want to go beyond this? Like, What are your aspirations as a player? I mean, my aspirations to be a player is just be the best I can be every single day. So if that means performing here, then it means performing here, but... My main goal is to get to one of those big clubs and get that big contract that everybody wishes and hopes and dreams about. So hopefully one day. Now, you mentioned your, your two older brothers as inspirations. Uh, you get the chance. You, you, you said your dad was, you know, you know, really in favor of this move. Um, what were the conversations like with your brothers? <laughs> My brothers were just like, go, go, now go. They just, they wanted me to go over to Europe. They did not want me in college anymore. They knew it was just like, it was, it was developing me, but it wasn't developing me to my full potential. So they were like, you have to take this opportunity. You're 19 years old and most kids don't get this opportunity. So you have to take it. And I, I trust them fully. So they were all behind me and my whole family was behind me. It was amazing. Now compare the college environment. Cause for, for so many that there's been this, this conversation in American soccer about you come up through an academy, whether it's DA or ECNL or just a you know a normal pay-to-play club, and then you know if you're lucky one day maybe you get a college scholarship and you go play in college, and then you know and it's kind of that pathway when the rest of the world doesn't operate on that pathway. So compare for us the college experience to what you're experiencing right now in, in a professional environment. Uh, even even though it is technically the third division in Denmark, compare that with what you experienced in college. Yeah, so college is just way different. I mean, there's this, there's the soccer part, there's the academic part, and then there's the social life. And when you go to college to be a college soccer player, D1 college soccer player, and you're on that scholarship, you know like your rights and wrongs, you know what you want to do in your life. So when you go there, your main goal is like just try to get out and go professional if that's what you want to do but ultimately like with college and everything it's an amazing experience but like it's nothing like being professional I mean being professional is everything's on your own college is you're being told what to do and everything I mean enough no regards like I loved college and everything but like professional life is just totally different you're on your own I'm living out here I'm 19 years old my family's back in the states and it's, it's, it's just way different, but it, it teaches you a lot of things when you're younger. It puts you ahead in life. What's the transition been like? Coming over, um, you know, obviously a lot of people in Denmark understand and speak English, but Danish is the, uh, you know, national language. Yeah. Uh, what's the transition been like? The culture difference, the adjustments? Uh, what has that been like for you in the time you've been over here? Uh, for, right, for right now, it's been very good. The culture here, I love the culture here. I feel like everybody kind of, the Danish community just kind of minds their own business. They don't worry about what else other people are doing, which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, so with that, with the culture, I mean, it's amazing. I love the lifestyle over here. It's It's been very easy to like come into and set my life up and been smooth sailing so far. I mean, I owe it up to the four other guys that I stay with, with the other Americans and Canadians, and they make it not hard to miss home and stuff. So, I mean, missing home is, it's not that hard. As long as you have like a good core group of guys around you, like you can do it and missing home won't be a problem. 
what have you missed or had to adjust to that was part of maybe daily life, whether that's TV channels or, you know, uh, media access or have you figured out ways to get around that with VPNs and other things? Yeah, I mean, when you come over here, it was like a huge thing, like to get the new phone because I can't use my phone over here, so I have to get like a, a Danish like uh, SIM card, so all that. It's just like it's a long process, but it's something that you're willing to do with everything. So, but yeah, so it's like a it's pretty hard, but it's it's easy as well too. How have you adjusted to the food? The food, yeah, I forgot to say that. It's, it's one thing I definitely like have to do is make food on my own because when I was in college it was it wasn't easy like easy because I was in a dorm so I didn't have kitchens or anything but I'm starting to learn how to cook and I'm I feel like I'm the best cook in the house right now but <laughs> there you go food champ well uh, when you look for this this upcoming season personally from from for yourself uh, you, you stated obviously that the whole club wants to uh, finishing first and get promoted for you as, as a player what would you consider success for this first year here this first year success would definitely just be being promoted I mean that's all we want to do nobody want to get relegated nobody wants to get relegated so our main goal is to just get up to the first back up to the first division and stay in the first division and then hopefully get to the Super League one day that's what our main goal is right now now as a player how would you dis define success for you as a player Oh, for, for a player, it would definitely be, uh, it would just be keep on working on my game, like every single day, like I'll get my chances, I'll get the chances, it, there's going to be a few chances that I get, because there's a little, there's guys in front of me and I totally accept that, but the chances that I get, I have to take full advantage of, that's what you have to do when you get those, when you're a young player, you get those few chances, you have to make the most out of it no matter what. Now, you grew up in the U.S., you played in the Development Academy, you played in an MLS Academy, and played in college, all in, in, in 19 years, and now you're in Europe chasing your dream. If you could give some advice to a 14, 15-year-old kid, maybe a 10-year-old, or, or even a fellow five-year-old who <laughs> decides they have the same dream that they want to be a professional, what would your advice be to them? Uh, it was definitely just like, it would be to stay on the right track no matter what. Like when you're 15, 14 years old, that's when like your crucial like friends come in and that's when you start seeing like who's like your main friends and everything. And I would just say like, make sure you hang out with the right group of guys because the guys you hang out with are the guys that will make your personality and make sure you hang out with the right group of people and make sure your, their goals are the same as your goals so you can work together and be both whatever you want to do in life. It's, just what you got to do is hang around, hang around the good people, hang around the people that want to make sure that you're in the right path and everything. People were going to want to bring you down, but you can't, you can't let that happen and hang around the good people. Well, thanks for joining the show. We really do appreciate you spending some time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. No one. No man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens.
into the show. Thanks for tuning in this Thursday, August the 29th. And I'd like to thank Jeremy Raffanella for joining us, doing an interview while we were in Denmark that was uh, recorded a few weeks ago after uh, they had just played a friendly um, which they dominated and the first team is going on to have a, a successful start to the season as they seek promotion from the uh, second division um, in Denmark which is technically the third division I explained this yesterday uh, the, the Danish setup uh, they have a super league um, at the top called the Superliga that's their first division and then from there they go down to the first division which is technically second division second division which is technically third division and FC Helsinger has has suffered two successive relegations and are looking to rebound and, and find their way back up to the first division and um, the at the same time the club is looking to bring in players from around the world and and North America to provide them opportunities in Europe and to chase their dreams. And and their hope is that over the next season or two that uh, they can um, have success with some of these players and be able to sell them on. And that brings more revenue to the club. It's part of the revenue model for the club. And uh, there are a lot of clubs that have this uh, mentality. Um, they have this setup where they are they are they are clubs that um, are always looking for you know a really good quality player that they can get while they're young or maybe while they're cheap, and then look to move them on at the right time when the market demands are there and t- take a. You know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar investment and turn it into a five million dollar investment, or take a five million dollar investment and turn it into a fifty million dollar investment. These are the kinds of of things that you you see throughout the world of football. And the reason why these things happen is you have an open market, and the open market means not just um, not just open market from the standpoint of being able to sell players. Um, you know, from one team in Denmark, one club in Denmark to another club or from, from a, a Danish club to, you know, a Dutch club. But the open markets that exist for the teams themselves, uh, meaning that they are playing in a connected system of leagues. So even though FC Helsingor suffered two successive relegations and find themselves in the second division, they are still in in an open system where they are able to, to handle their business off the field so that they can do a better job of handling their business on the field and in doing so, work their way back up. As they work their way up the system of connected leagues, they get access to more television revenue, they get access to higher sponsor revenue they get access to more game day revenue and all of these things help them build their business and um, at the same time these these players and this player market exist because these clubs have the ability to to have access opportunity the ability to get to a higher league if FC Helsinger had no shot of moving up. If clubs around Europe had no shot to get any bigger than they are today, it would have severe adverse effects on talent identification, talent development, and this entire player market. So when we talk about the need for an open system of connected leagues here in America, which we don't have, we don't have anything that is tiered beyond three divisions that have arbitrary rules that have nothing to do with a game on the field. When we talk about that and the need for that, it, it goes beyond just a team getting the opportunity to move from the third division to the second division or a team in major league soccer. That's terrible. That gets relegated down to the second division. 
It's also about activating cities and communities and states all over America. We will never know where the where where a great player is going to come from before they arrive. But I can tell you this, they're not likely to come from a market without access to the top. Because without that access, you're not going to get seen. You're not going to get the highest levels of training. So that's why we see here in the States, a family has the decision to make. If I want to give my child the best opportunity and I live in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm going to send my son to live with a family in Houston and hope that that's a better situation. And then I'm going to send him to live in Dallas to play with an MLS team, believing that's a better situation. Multiple states away from us. So that he gets the opportunity to make it to Germany. I'm not giving a hypothetical example of what families face and the choices that they have to consider. I just walked you through the story of Chris Richards. Now, Birmingham, Alabama is a metro market of more than a million people. Chris Richards didn't even have the opportunity in a city the size of over a million people to find access to the top of the game in the U.S. That's ridiculous. It's insane that we accept this system, that we accept that this is a norm, that this is okay. It's just crazy. And that's what you see that happens differently in in Europe is that when you are um, when you are a player and you're at a club like FC Helsinger, you know, even though you're in the Danish second division, you know that scouts are around. You know that they are always looking. And it might be a team in the first division. It might be a team in the Super League. It might be a team in, in the Swedish first division. It might be a team in, in, the, in the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. It might be a team in Belgium. You never know who's watching. But you do know this that someone is watching, that someone is a, a, a actually taking on the the challenge to, to find the next player, to look for the next player, to, to realize an opportunity, to take advantage of an opportunity. And that is the, that is what we don't have in the U.S., if you are a player in the U.S. and you are from Birmingham, Alabama, a city of more than a million people, you still have to leave and go to Houston and go to Dallas to get an opportunity. That's crazy. Crazy. So we should not be trying to keep people away from access. If, if we were concerned about the soccer and the quality of development and the quality of play, then we would be trying to find ways to activate cities like Birmingham. Activate other cities across this country. Activate entire states across this country. So without access to the top, what incentive does a club in Birmingham really have? What incentive do they, do they have to go and bring in the best players, develop those best players? They're not going to get paid for it. They're not going to get rewarded for it. And their first team is not going to have any opportunity to get access to the top. When people argue against promotion relegation, 
it's just crazy to to listen to some of the excuses. If you just look at it on merit, like on the principles of the idea, there is no more pure athletic competition to be had. Win on the field, move up. Lose on the field, go down. That's life. Our country has got to get to a place where we have a federation that embraces this. And I think one of the things that we've got to be able to do in in that conversation and in that quest for finding a solution is we've got to be willing to think outside of the box. We've got to be willing to understand that our situation does have some some challenges. Geography is a big challenge. There's a lot of distance between cities, especially the further out west you go. So even for lower division soccer, geography is a big challenge. We have to recognize it. We have to work around that. We have to figure out a way to, to schedule around that, to build around that. Climate, weather, another big challenge. You got a, you've got an entirely different climate and, and weather problems in Minnesota that you have in South Florida. We have a variance of climates all over this country. We have to be able to account for that. We have, in addition to the geography, but, but, but connected to that, we have multiple time zones. Mainland United States, four time zones. We have to account for that. We have a lot of people. A lot of people. We have to account for that. Now, we can get caught up looking at all of these things as problems. Or we can get caught up figuring out a way to make it work. Figuring out a way to make the system work. And one thing, one of the things that... I think we've got to wrap our heads around is this doing the same thing over and over expecting different results is, is a definition of insanity. And when we look at the U S system and we try to tailor fit exactly what is set up in the English system or the German system or the Spanish system or the Dutch system. And we, uh, and we overlay that over, the U.S., it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The, if, if we look at a sport that has, uh, well, not even necessarily a sport, but a, a level of sport in the U.S. that has figured out a way to, to really make things work, it's college athletics. College athletics. Now, we could spend a whole show on the NCAA and how much I dislike the NCAA, but let's set aside the NCAA and NAIA and all of that to the side. Let's just look at the colleges themselves, right? The universities and the college athletic system. You have universities all over this country in basketball, baseball, softball, football, Soccer, etc. They're all they're doing these sports, but they're they're not just in like thirty markets. They're all over the place, all over the place. Now some are small, some are bigger, some are huge. Some have stadiums bigger than professional stadiums. Some pay their coaches more than professional coaches. College athletics is a model that we should take some inspiration from in this regard. College athletics, due to the fact that colleges are all over this country and not limited to just 
you know, a, a few dozen cities that get the privilege to have a college or university. Every city in this country could have a college and university if they wanted to. Some cities have multiple colleges and universities. So one of the inspirations we can draw from is the fact of localization, regionalization. In those two concepts of local and regional, we can we can find some inspiration of what we should be looking at for U.S. soccer. Reducing distances to travel, the smaller you are, should be a key principle. Staying local or, or being local is another principle, meaning that every city should have an opportunity. So that's another principle we could take. So reducing the travel footprint, providing access and opportunity to every city. Okay, now we're on to something. What do we see at the biggest levels of college athletics? We don't see a national league. We see conference play. You hear the term, if you follow uh, college sports at all, in America, you hear this term, Power Five School. A Power Five School is simply a school that is in one of the big five conferences. So you have the, the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference. You have the Big Ten, which is really not 10, but whatever. You have the Big 12. You have the Pac-12 and you have the SEC. You have the these five power conferences. And together, they make up the, the footprint of the United States. And most states are represented in these conferences. Not all, but most states. And what you see in these geographic footprints is an Alabama playing against an LSU. You see a Michigan playing Ohio State. You see USC playing Oregon, so on and so forth. And they'll occasionally do, you know, like this coming weekend, there'll be some big kickoff games and you'll see, you know, a team from California playing a team from Texas or a team from Florida playing a team from Michigan, something like that. But in their conference play, they're within their conference footprint. That's where they're playing. And, and, and in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, most of their sports are within that same Power Five setup. So we have a few principles at play here that we can learn from with college sports. So reduce the travel burden with regionalization, providing access and opportunity to every city and community. And even at our biggest levels, we want to try to regionalize through conference play. But at the same time, leave open the opportunity to to play out of conference. Have some big matches. So we take all of those things and we look at it and we go, okay, college athletics has figured out a way to get in more cities and into more communities and to connect more people to multiple sports than any other level of sport in this country. The NFL hasn't done that. The only one that's come close is baseball. But baseball's minor league system is so flawed that if you're a a double-A team, your community really doesn't care. Not in the same way that college athletics and the people associated with those colleges care. But baseball's the only one that's come close. So when we look at all of that and we we look at college athletics and we, we can see some inspiration of what we could do. And then when you look at the principles of an open system of access and opportunity, and we start to pair those things and we put all these things in a pot and start to mix them up, then we can say, okay, what can we look at? What can we figure out that's different? 
I think the U.S. is large enough. We have enough big markets, and we obviously have enough money. When we look at the number of people that have bought clubs overseas, etc., to to know that we could have dozens of really good teams, dozens of really good teams, and that due to the geography and the travel cost, it's probably not a smart idea to have a team from L.A., traveling every week or every other week to the East Coast, to the Great Plains, to the upper Midwest, to Florida. Just, it's it's really like a Champions League deal. I'm Barcelona. I've got to play against Manchester City. I'm flying to England. I'm PSG. I've got to travel to Dortmund. I've got to play Borussia Dortmund. That's Champions League. That's not league play. So I think I think another thing we can look at is go, okay, what are they doing in Europe? When are they traveling? How are they traveling? How do we mesh that with some of the, our realities? Geography, how do we mesh that with time zones? How do we mesh that with the different climates? How do we work all of this into a sensible solution? And when we do that, when we start to think that way, we'll find solutions. We'll find a way to get teams in a reduced travel conference style setup that has some version of maybe an American type champions league above it. And then regionalizes and brings access and opportunity to people below it and provide a pathway for clubs to get to the top. But instead of freaking out over, I've got to get to one of 20 because our country's so huge, maybe it's one of 80. And in all of that, those 80 are then battling it out for maybe 16 American Champions League style tournament every, every year. And now we're activating markets all over this country. And in the last 15 to 20 minutes, as we've been talking through all of these different principles, when you have a solutions-oriented mindset, you can start to find ways to solve these issues. But we've got to solve them. We've got to provide more access and opportunity. No offense to, to our current group of players with the U.S. national team, but we should be doing better. Plain and simple. We should be doing better. So, anyway, those are those are my general thoughts. Uh, some of those are, are being are, are formulated and being formulated into a plan. And I think I think that we've got to figure out a way to move towards that type of setup because it it does help us in so many ways and um, take into effect weather, regionalization, travel, etc. And, uh, and I think our country would be much better off uh, if, in fact, we were providing that kind of opportunity. So um, good luck to Jeremy and uh, in his quest to chase uh, a career in Europe. I know that he's been uh, really excited about making that move and, um, you know, and, 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 and chasing his dream. And um We need more kids like that, and we need more opportunities for kids like that, uh, not just abroad, but here in the U.S. So um, every day we work, every day we fight, every day we talk about how we can make ourselves better, and this is one of those ways. And um, I just think we've got to change the mentality. We've got to look at solutions and not get caught up in the problems. So thanks for joining me today. We will be back again tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. As always, you can go back and watch these shows at facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. We will see everyone again tomorrow. Tomorrow.